0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, with host, Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation, exploring how Indian Country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on the show, the relationship between the federal government and tribes. How is it showing up now during the pandemic? So I'm joined by Liz Jackla, Anishinaabe Kwe, and educator to talk more about this. And we also hear from Senator Tina Smith.
2: Early this spring tribal governments in Minnesota and all around the country made the difficult decision to voluntarily close tribal enterprises in order to protect public health. As a result, they lost significant government revenue and also experienced massive unemployment not only for their members but for members from the surrounding communities. And this lost revenue meant that tribal governments were forced to scale back essential services like nutrition assistance for elders public safety, and education programming. That's
1: Senator Tina Smith talking to Congress and the President on July 1st.
2: So in the CARES Act, Congress agreed to $8 billion in emergency relief to help tribes respond to COVID. Even after congressional action, though, tribal governments have had to continue fighting to get their fair share of those dollars. The Trump administration argued that some of this relief should go to for-profit Alaska Native corporations. And then it took... Treasury Department 40 days to distribute just the first 60% of the funds to tribes. And not until two weeks ago, almost three months after passage of the CARES Act, did tribal governments receive the rest.
1: That was Senator Tina Smith urging Congress and the President to make good on treaty and trust responsibilities to Native America. Smith is U.S. Senator from Minnesota who sits on the Senate Indian Affairs Committee. Reporter Melissa Townsend talked with Tina Smith about that speech, which we'll hear more about in a bit. But here with me today is Liz Jackla. Liz is an Anishinaabe mother, teacher, and musician living on her home, Rez Fond du Lac, in Cloquet, Minnesota. Welcome, Liz. Hey,
3: thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. We're doing okay today. It's uh you know, a uh, business not usual. So uh, we're trying to see what uh, what the day holds and what we can do to meet our, our needs and expectations. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, we got
1: a few things to listen to, but I look forward to hearing your perspective and your input. So what's on your mind, Liz?
3: So I've been thinking about, um, you know, uh, COVID-19 pandemic and how it is playing out in Indian country specifically you know my reservation Mm -hmm. and then looking at it against you know the the history of epidemics or pandemics in Indian country since you know 1600s and how that relationship you know in the immediate sense must have been uh you know a few hundred years ago and what it is right now And then the context of nationhood and um, responsibilities and jurisdiction and, uh, you know, whether or not we're even being counted uh, Mm -hmm. as, you know, COVID cases, because I've heard some mixed reports about that, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, uh, so being informed, uh, how we are informed now and again, kind of putting it in that big context, like, we know disease and illness was a huge factor in the depopulation of, uh, of our peoples. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk
1: more with you about that. Um, so let's take a couple minutes here to listen to uh, reporter Melissa Townsend talking to Senator Tina Smith in response to her speech that she gave on the Senate floor.
4: Hi, Melissa.
0: Okay. Hi, Senator. How are you?
4: I'm, I'm well today. How are you?
0: I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, thanks for making time. So I, I wanted to talk to you about this speech that you made the other night on the floor. Now, in your speech, you say, this is the time to finally make good on treaty promises to Native nations and urban Indian populations, and specifically increase funding for Indian health services and other tribal services. Why are you saying now is the time?
4: I think that in this moment, which has been such a moment of crisis for people all over the country, this moment has also served to draw attention to the great inequities in our society and in our healthcare systems. And so my challenge to my colleagues was that in this moment, don't look away from this. Take this as an opportunity to finally address the root causes of this inequity, the systems of racism and trauma that are holding Native people in a position of such inequity. So let's not only address clearly the challenges we have around COVID, but let's go to the root causes. And I think that with the murder of George Floyd, that tragic event has caused people all across the nation to look at this inequity, see it square in the face and say to their elected leaders, to themselves, to their communities, we can't look away from this anymore. Mm You know,
0: here in Minnesota, as you probably know, in state government, people are feeling urgent about inequity, disparity, racism that is historic. And then there's also this fear about scarcity and economic crisis, which is also caused by COVID-19. In your mind, how do you balance those two? Well,
4: we have always used this fear of scarcity, this, this idea that we don't have enough as an excuse for not living up to our promises in Indian country. And to me, that misses the core issue, which is that the United States of America has trust and treaty obligation to tribal nations that date back, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, those treaties don't say, those trust obligations don't say, if you have the resources or if you feel like you could spare a little more, they say you will. And I actually think it doesn't work from an economic perspective, because just think about what's happening in tribal nations or in urban communities as well. One of the reasons that we see such a disparate impact of COVID in these communities is because of a terrible shortage of housing, because of a... Uh, chronic underfunding of the Indian Health Service, because there is a lack of access to capital and credit, which means that Native families aren't able to build wealth and build um, economic stability. And that is fueling the impact of COVID in these communities. And so it's not only the moral thing to do, but it also is the practical thing to do.
0: Mm. Um, one of the things you called for is more funding for Indian Health Services, which of course has historically, chronically been underfunded. Uh, I read a press release from IHS in April that says the Trump administration has allocated more than a billion dollars to IHS for coronavirus and other expenses. So tell me more about what you're calling for.
4: Well. Here's an example of what we are seeing that is deeply frustrating to Minnesota's tribal leaders and people all over the country. Take this as an example. In the CARES 3.5 interim package that Congress passed with broad bipartisan support, we allocated $750 million for tribes to carry out testing in their communities. Those dollars have not yet even gotten to tribes think about the impact of that on leaders at the ground level who are working to do the testing that they need so that we can not only control this virus, but we can suppress it. And yet they don't have the fundamental basic tools um, that they have been promised, that actually Congress authorized and appropriated the dollars to do. So the Trump administration points to the things that they say that they have done. But if you look on the ground, you don't see it happening. Yeah, this is a constant problem that I every week we hear from tribal leaders in Minnesota. Where are those testing dollars? We pushed on this in the Indian Affairs Committee, and you know, we were told, well, they're in the regional offices, and we're trying to figure out how to distribute it. Well, I mean, meanwhile... <laughs> Meanwhile, the crisis continues unabated um, in Indian country. Think about what's happening. I mean, the worst case is what's happening. The most tragic case is what's happening on the Navajo Nation. But um, that is um, only one example. Mm -hmm. Did you say,
0: I'm sorry, just to clarify, $700 million for testing just to tribes? Or was that across the board?
4: Yes. Yes, that was $750 million for tribes to carry out testing. And it was authorized in the... CARES, the so-called CARES 3.5. And
0: so you're saying the Trump administration will send out these press releases, a billion dollars for IHS, but what you're seeing is it's not getting
4: there. It's not getting there. It's not getting there. Is that what you're saying? saying. That's what I'm saying. Now, let's take the example of the $8 billion that was allocated to tribal governments for response to COVID. Um, Those dollars were allocated, you know, that was in mid-March um the um the last of those dollars finally got to tribes um i think the middle of june and that's the kind of foot dragging that is just so disheartening to see
0: mm-hmm. so you're calling for more money do you want more money and sort of a
4: better distribution both those things Well, i think there are two there there are sort of there's an immediate issue which is around uh, COVID-19 and resources to tribal um, leaders, and then there's the long-term underfunding of Indian Health and Nahasda and you know the systemic issues that we've been talking about also. It's re- important to remember that the initial request from tribes all over the country was for $20 billion to help them respond to and recover from COVID. We were able to get $8 billion in the CARES Act package, but those dollars had strings attached to them that had been defined by the Treasury Department. The the biggest of them was that they could not be used to replace lost revenue because of COVID. This has been a huge challenge for tribes because how do you define that? (laughs) You know, they wouldn't have closed down their tribal enterprises, but for COVID, and as a result of closing down their tribal enterprises, they had dramatic spikes in unemployment and also dramatic loss of revenue, which meant that they had to make cuts. Um, or dip into their reserves. So that's why we are asking for additional dollars for tribes to be able to make up for that lost revenue and help them through economically. Do you have a
0: summed up amount of money tribes are still owed from the relief packages that have been passed so far?
4: You know, I don't have that number um, with me, but I'm sure that we could get you at least an estimate of that from my office, and we will get that to you. And the reason I say that it would only be an estimate is because there is a terrible lack of transparency amongst all of the federal agencies about where these dollars are, how much of them have been distributed, how are they distributed, and how much is left. So it is difficult, not only for me as a United States senator, but also for tribal leaders to understand where the dollars are. Um, and this sort of just feeds into this constant sense of mistrust and and distrust that has been so much a a history and leads to this recognition of these broken promises. Thank you. Uh, What's next in terms of relief packages on the federal level? Well, we wanted to draw attention to the lack of action on much-needed relief packages. We are disappointed that it didn't get done um, in June. The time is wasting, and the clock is ticking, and these resources are really needed across the board. I'm hopeful that we'll get this done in July because we can see the needs growing and not shrinking. And that'll be our full court press amongst the Democratic caucus. And I'm hoping that there'll be bipartisan support for that. Because if it's not done, Congress is expecting to be in recess in August. And then we would be looking at September, which just feels completely irresponsible. All
0: right.
4: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah. You bet. It's wonderful to speak with you. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. Today on the show, the relationship between the federal government and tribes. How is it showing up now during the pandemic? That was reporter Melissa Townsend talking with U.S. Senator Tina Smith. Smith mentioned she could offer an estimate on the amount of federal dollars still owed to tribes and urban Indian communities from the Federal CARES Act passed in March, but her office was not able to give us a number. We do know roughly $220 million is still owed to schools funded by the Bureau of Indian Education. But with me today, here now, is Liz Jackala. Hello again, Liz. Hi. Hi. So this interview Melissa did with Senator Smith,
3: what are your thoughts? What are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were I'm glad they're talking about it mm. because um, that's not always the case, uh, that issues in Indian country, you know, get time in the Senate. Uh, so I, I was really grateful. Um, but I think it's also important that um, these issues are being Uh, scrutinized, uh, that they're trying to tease out, well, what really is happening with the funds that are being allocated for Indian country, and are they being delivered in the way that they um, were intended? Mm -hmm. Because here on the ground, it doesn't necessarily seem that way.
1: This relationship between the federal government and tribes, long history, uh, long problematic history. What does this say? What what what's happening right now with these funds and the inability of getting them to the tribes? What does that?
3: What do you think that says about that relationship? It does not feel as if we're a priority. It feels as if Indian country is an afterthought, which is uh, backwards. I think uh, if I were to you know go somewhere and uh and have a relationship with some entity that allowed me to live there I think that would be a priority to take care of those people um and that does not seem to be the case uh really you know since the 1800s when the the Marshall Trilogy you know was through the the Supreme Court the the 1830 you know um when they created this domestic dependent nationhood status, that uh, created the trust responsibility that the federal government has with tribal nations, it seems like we're always being put last. Yeah, and it's it creates difficulties um, for uh, not just the tribal citizens, but even the people. You know, like the treaties are um, not only for tribal people. The treaties that were written allowed Americans to have. Uh, territory to live here and so those treaties should be upheld and valued and um, those relationships maintained uh, for everybody's interest
1: right and I'd like to just like highlight that too I mean um, you mentioned treaties that allowed for folks to come here to live usually it's thought of the opposite direction the opposite way like these treaties allow for Native people to continue to live here or something like that, like something backwards.
3: Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, the use of language um, is so uh, important and I think overlooked. When I hear students um, talk about uh, how the United States government gave Indians reservations, Mm -hmm. I immediately interrupt them and say, you know, I know that that's, um, you're trying to work through some understanding about how we have reservations, but the federal government did not give us this reservation. It's in the name. It was reserved through this process called, you know, making treaties. And uh, in fact, it's kind of the other way around that uh, the rest of the land that was ceded that was sold was then um, oftentimes given uh, to the federal government to do with what they wanted in order to have access to resources, mineral rights, water, uh, and then for the population of the United States to eventually come and, you know, and live here. Using that term gave Uh, Is really uh, loaded. And then there's this uh, misunderstanding even today, those rights that are associated with the treaties that, you know, the federal government gives Indian rights. Um, No, we had those rights long before the federal government was even here. And those rights were reserved through the treaties uh, in order that we are able to sustain ourselves. So that we could hunt, fish, and gather. Those are the minimal rights that were reserved. The other rights that are not even mentioned in the treaties were not even considered. The rights to have clean air, to have clean water, mm-hmm. to uh, you know, to be able to exercise our um, uh, our right, you know, to to survive as Anishinaabe, <laughs> like like mm-hmm. that was kind of a given you know like sure <laughs> you know we're we're going to make a treaty with these people because they're a, a people that have the right to be here because they were here before the united states you know was even a thing that's you don't make treaties with people that you're going to get rid of so are you
1: surprised you know these funds are allocated they're like they're supposed to go to tribes right. you know so it seems like a lot of this is just in Words and playing that out is a broken promise, which just seems like another
3: broken promise in a long line of broken promises. Like the um, uh, the cycle or the habit, you know, of of only saying things and not following through, and uh, and not then having really any consequences when it happens. So you know they'll continue to do that. And, and, you know, I think that um, there is uh, something to consider looking at how the funds are, uh, are you know, dispersed and to whom and how, uh, what the expectations are. So the federal government releases funds to the tribes for whatever reasons. Right now we're looking at the CARES Act, right? Um, mm-hmm. The tribes... Are self determining and they should be able to say, This is how we need to use this money, and then do so. But um, it appears as if there are uh, strings attached um, so that we can only use that money in certain ways. Uh, And I know that the tribal peoples have um, needs that are varied, even nation to nation within the same state. Yeah. Um, And and so uh, people might need funds for. Uh, you know, paying their bills right now uh, because they have to have been furloughed. Um, uh, They might need funds for health uh, considerations. They might need funds for food. I mean, you know, like there are so many different things um, that need to be addressed. And each tribe has better knowledge than the federal government as to what the needs of their people are. And so being self-determined sovereign nations, that you know, expectation should be there. Like, okay, the federal government is going to just give this money and you guys know what you need to do with it. But instead, it seems as if they're, it's earmarked for only certain things.
1: I'm listening to you talk and it sounds like there's just this grab bag of weapons that, that federal government just sticks their hand in and pulls out to use uh, a lot of these things that you're, you're, you're mentioning. And now the pandemic is one of them. And allowing tribal communities to be sick and to not help is just one of those. It's like it, it, it's come back around to, to illness now. So allowing communities to get sick and turning a blind eye to it is, frankly, what I see when it's this promise that's made, that's not kept, and it's allowing people to get sick and to die.
3: Right. We don't even know if tribal. Communities are counted when they're doing their uh, counts for the uh, uh, COVID cases. We don't know. I, I he- I've heard, you know, differing um, uh, opinions about how that information is getting to the state. Um, whether the mm. the tribal clinics report to the county. And then it becomes part of the county, um, you know, but my my reservation, and I'm guessing others, overlaps. Um, we're in Carleton County and St. Louis County. Um, and so those numbers go to, um, you know, the county and then goes to the state. Um, I know other issues on reservations um, are not usually included in, like, news or um I mean, that's how we end up with the, you know, our issues of missing and murdered Indigenous women or Indigenous relatives, is that um, those cases don't necessarily get the same attention because of the overlap of jurisdiction or the vacuum or the missing jurisdiction. Uh, so it isn't, you know, who's, who's keeping watch of Indian country? Who, who's paying attention? Do we have an Indian country COVID count? Um, I know we heard a lot about, um, you know, what's going on with the Navajos and, and you know, the yeah. tragedy down there with COVID mm-hmm. um, and uh, in other parts of the country, I'm sure people are, you know, keeping track of their own communities, but like, how do we, how do we know?
1: Well, I'm looking at the, the, the state health departments, Minnesota department of health, the confirmed cases by race mm-hmm. uh, information and it's pretty interesting. I mean, they, they do have American Indian and Al- Alaska Native section here, but also a very uh, large graphic here for uh, unknown. Right. <laughs> so I'm not sure what the accuracy is. I'm sure, you know, you do the best you can, right, mm-hmm. with the information that's given to you to compile this information. And then, of course, you know, you hear about, um, and the historically, you know, some Native people being counted as just something else, right. just because they're looked at, you know. If you look at me, you know, I've been just automatically ticked off as, ticked off, I'm sorry, I've been automatically just checked off as, as white because I do pass as white in a lot of rooms. <laughs> so, you know, just
3: making... These assumptions, too, at the same time. Well, at least in the education uh, system of counting people, if a student selects that they're American Indian and something else, like if they would write that they're Mm -hmm. American Indian and white, or American Indian and Hispanic, or American Indian and Black, um, it automatically Mm -hmm. kicks them into a different category so they are not counted as American Indian which then affects them in terms of like their financial aid and the school overall. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with that checking of boxes either somebody does on their own behalf or um, like you uh, talked about being misidentified uh, or being kicked into the unknown, you know? (laughs) So we don't, you know, we don't know. And how, how can we serve the needs of the people if we don't even know who the people are? Mm -hmm. That's so helpful to
1: think about, um, in all those different ways,
3: Liz. Thank you so much for joining
1: me, Chimigwech. Um, do you have any big hopes for the future? Are, are you are you hopeful? Are are you excited about something? So we so we
3: say goodbye on a high note. <laughs> well, I do know that we are extremely resilient people, uh, and you know the that resilience that my. Uh, you know, my grandmothers, my grandfathers left me with and still resides in my, you know, my cellular existence um, is what gets me to the next day, is what gets me to, you know, shake it off, uh, whatever I just passed through and say, okay, what's next? Um, how can I Make sure that my kids are going to have you know na- knowledge about gardening if things come to that. There's there's ways that our ancestors knew how to live from you know the medicines of the land here. Let's start learning about them again, um, and reaching out to Anishinaabe who hold those teachings because nobody knows everything, right? We're all we're all in this you know together, and so we need to rebuild those connections those community relationships uh, because you know the the strongest the, the strongest raft has has many logs in it or whatever you know like <laughs> I,
0: I like that For an
3: analogy
1: <laughs> no, that's a good one the strongest raft has many logs <laughs> Uh, That's a good one. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show sometime, Liz. I know there's so much to talk about. My eight-year-old has been bouncing
3: around in the background. So that's, uh, there she is. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) hi there.
1: To mcwetch for listening today. I really liked what Liz Jackla said about remembering how resilient we are. And I I really just want to highlight that and take that with me for the rest of the day here. So thank you, McWach, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem.
0: Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community
4: Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.